Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to welcome you back to the program again today. And uh, we had such an incredibly good time in the last couple of weeks uh, with my oldest son on the set. And it just seems like when he's on, uh, we work so well together. And uh, I just invited him to come and be back on the program again as we do chapter 12 of the book of Hebrews. I really trust that you've enjoyed this series, but let me just say first of all uh, that he is, of course, my oldest son, and he pastors a great church in Winchester, Virginia called Word That Frees, and there will be some information on the screen as to where they meet. Uh, you owe it to yourself to go by a service and, uh, and connect with them and hear him preach on a Sunday morning. It's good to have you back on the program, Jeremy. Good to be here once again. <laughs> uh, it's funny, the other day his daughter realized, his daughter just realized that we're on TV, and she asked me, she said, Pap, can I be on TV one day? I said, when you get a little bit bigger, maybe we'll have you on TV. <laughs> so I said, your dad's on there with me too. So she just discovered that. But anyway, uh, we're going to get in the Word here in a few moments, but uh, we, we've uh, been sharing from the book of Hebrews now for, uh, I can't tell you how many programs. But uh, uh, we're getting good response from it. And you, you'd say, well, you know, uh, I'd like to really have listened to this whole series. And you just found us maybe for the first time. Well, let me just tell you, you can go back on uh, our YouTube page and you can uh, watch us on YouTube. Uh, there is a direct link from my website at lenhouse.com that goes both to our YouTube page. It also goes to our uh, iTunes podcast. It also goes to an RSS feed for Android. So you can get the Word that we're teaching and uh, at no cost to you. And uh, uh, it will be a blessing to you to get caught up because we have really dug into the book of Hebrews. Uh, we're coming to the conclusion of it in the next two chapters, so we're going to jump right in uh, to the Word and read, first of all, uh, this today. It says, uh, chapter 12, book of Hebrews, it said, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down on the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds, for you have not yet resisted unto blood striving against sin." And, and you have forgotten the exhortation. I won't, I won't go to verse 5 yet. Let me just kind of come and uh, give a little bit of conclusion to uh, the theme of this whole book, first of all, you know from listening to us, was written to Hebrews. And uh, these Hebrews were in the most probably uh, pivotal time in human history because they're crossing over out of this time, not a physical uh, bondage of Egypt, they're crossing over out of a spiritual bondage 
of Old Covenant. We've already laid the groundwork of how Egypt, according to Revelation 11, verse 8, it said that their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Our Lord was not crucified in Sodom or Egypt. He was crucified in Jerusalem. But the Spirit is making a connection from Revelation 11, verse 8, that the bondage of Egypt in the New Covenant is more than just bondage to, uh, you know, what we would say generically is the world. It was a bondage that they were coming out of and to a glorious liberty that was in the Son and in the freedom of the New Covenant. Uh, we, we, back several programs ago, we talked about Hebrews 10. See, this is a theme that carries through not just one chapter at a time, but the theme of the whole book. The overview has to get in your spirit to see what's really being said. Because he admonishes them, if you remember uh, in chapter 10, he admonishes them. He says, if we sin willfully, once we've been enlightened, and Hebrews 6 also says this, we've tasted of the power of the coming age. The age to come was the new covenant age. Yeah. And the power was from the New Covenant age, and they were seeing the demonstration of the power. He said, once you've been enlightened, if you sin willfully and you go back, there remains no more sacrifice for sin. And he tells them in 10 of Hebrews, Jeremy, that in order to, to, uh, in order to do that, you've got to walk back over the blood of Jesus and do despite to the Spirit of grace. When he's talking about sin here, he's not talking about something you did last night. He's talking about, see, this Greek word sin means to miss the mark. Mm -hmm. And so they were about to miss the mark of the new covenant. And many of them under the pressure of persecution and the seemingly 30 some year delay and all of this coming to pass, they're about to miss the mark and go back to temple service, animal sacrifice, circumcision, divers washings. And he's saying, if you go back to animal sacrifice, and you miss this mark on purpose. In other words, if you deliberately walk away from this new covenant, you've got to walk over the blood of Jesus and do despite to the spirit of grace. And then there remains no more sacrifice for sin. He's not saying you've blasphemed the Holy Ghost and there's, an, you know, and, and you, you know, there's no, what he's saying is there's no more, there's not another lamb coming. So if you reject this one, it kind of is an unpardonable, in, you know, because the whole, uh, the whole weight of the new covenant hangs on believing, yep. you know, uh, faith. So they're, they, they're denying their faith and going back. So when he's talking about here, man, I saw this so powerfully in Hebrews 12. He said, for if you sin willfully, uh, you know, there remains no more sacrifice for sin. And then, you know, he tells them, but, you know, uh, a certain fearful looking for fiery indignation and a judgment that will come upon the people. That judgment came in A.D. 70 to that system when the temple was dismantled, animal sacrifice was destroyed, and that the new covenant was fully inaugurated. Uh, and so what I, what I begin to see then as I come on over into chapter 12 is this is the carryover of that same theme because in chapter 10 he's telling them, don't go back to Judaism. Don't sin willfully. Don't miss this mark on purpose. And then we did eight programs on, the, then Paul grabs that and he says to these Hebrews, look, look at your heroes of faith. Mm -hmm. Look at all these guys who, who lived this thing by faith. And we showed in, those, in the prior segments how that everything that these men did in Hebrews 11, these great heroes of faith, was a picture of the redemptive work of Christ. Man, this is so clear to me. And he's telling them then as you come into Hebrews 12, we're compassed about with a great cloud of witnesses. He's talking about you have had all of these heroes of faith mm -hmm. that have showed you that this is about walking by faith.
So when he says to them, lay aside every weight, add the sin that besets you, he's not talking about some sin you did last night. He's talking about stop carrying the weight of an old covenant performance-based religious system. Stop missing the mark of the new covenant and look away from this and put your focus, look unto Jesus. We're going to really put some emphasis where it belongs in this program because we're going to look unto Jesus who is the author and the finisher of our faith. And when it says, He for the joy that sat before Him endured the cross despising the shame, I think the joy was that He could see that this promise that God made to Abraham was about to come on all the nations. Mm-hmm. That, that, you know, I'll bless them that bless you and curse them that curse you was a promise not made to a physical, uh, or not just, was not, that, that promise was made to the seed yeah. of Abraham. And the seed of Abraham, very clearly, we'll get into this a little bit later on, but the seed of Abraham in Galatians 3 is not seeds as of many but one seed, and that seed which was Christ. So when he say, look unto Jesus, he's the author and finisher of our faith. That's what's going to empower you to lay aside the carrying of the weight of this old covenant performance burden system that makes you a slave and not a son, because this whole chapter is going to talk about sons Mm -hmm. and not servants. And he's going to say to them, you can lay aside this weight you can lay aside the sin that does so easily beset us. And I believe the besetting sin was the temptation to go back to your old default system of that old covenant. And it was about to fade off the scene. And it's in that that he says to them, listen, uh, he can, Jesus, consider him who endured such contradiction of sinners. He's talking about Hebrews here, literally, mm-hmm. who are about to miss the mark. And they literally crucified him. Mm-hmm. And he says to them, because you've not yet resisted unto blood striving against sin. And some of them were about to, uh, you know, resist unto blood. And that was literally, they were about to be, you know, uh, persecuted and martyred for their stand for the gospel of Christ. And so that's the, that's the backdrop of this. And I think you probably got something where you could jump in there and add some thoughts to that. You know, well, he's talking about, uh, you know, he, we just got done uh, chapter 11 where he talks about all the heroes of faith and he says seeing that we are encompassed about by such a great cloud of witnesses again like you said he's writing to Hebrews mm-hmm. and the Hebrew time at that time this the, the heroes of faith all those men that they talked about in chapter 11 that was taught in their schools mm-hmm. you know for us we hear the stories in, in Sunday school but this was their schooling yep. uh, you know their education was based upon these heroes of faith, these stories, these the, the reading of the uh, of the old the Old Testament scriptures of, of the things that took place of their Exodus of all those things, that was so uh, in, intertwined in their culture that everyone you know from the oldest to the youngest, they at least had some understanding of these men, and uh, when Jesus began to take his disciples and began to you know bring them along, they already had an understanding of the scriptures. Mm-hmm. But when they began to see Jesus and Jesus began to fi- fulfill the, the, the scriptures that they had heard, it was easy for them to begin, as they walked with Jesus, began to see the living, you know, in other words, the word went from something that was just taught to something that was living in front of them. They were seeing the fulfillment of mm-hmm. all the prophecies, you know. When we think about the, prof- you know, the, the, the books of the prophets, the things that were written in there, our mindset a lot of times goes from a, to a religious mindset where we're always looking to the future of this prophecy coming to pass, or 
you know, we're reading it from uh, a scriptural point of view. But for these men, it was something that literally was coming in their day. Mm -hmm. But when they began to walk with Jesus and began to see the fulfillment, you know, so when they, the apostles would write in their, their, their epistles and things and would write, this he did to fulfill this scripture, or this he did to fulfill what Isaiah said. They were literally seeing the, the word become flesh. Yep. I think when John wrote, you know, that uh, in the beginning was the word and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, you know, the reason he's writing that is because he literally walked with Jesus. He saw the word become flesh and walk among them. He saw the things that were promised come to pass. And so, you know, when he says, uh, when the writer of Hebrews says, uh, seeing that we are encompassed about with such a great cloud of witnesses, what he's really testifying is, is that these men witnessed, they were witnesses of what was literally here right now, mm -hmm. that, that they were witnessing of Jesus. You know, sometimes we, we hear those things, we read, we, we read these things and we read them from our, our mindset and sometimes not from the mindset of which it's written. You know, you always say uh, context and audience relevance is very important when we read the scriptures. And it's, it's, it's vitally important when we read the book of Hebrews because not only uh, was it for, those, for that mindset and the people that's written to was these things dawning on them. They, mm -hmm. they had a real basis for it. Uh, but it was also unfolding for them in that time. In real time. In real time, you know. Uh, in other words, you know, because we talked about, la you know, we talked about uh, when, we were te when we were teaching uh, chapter 11 uh, that Jesus, when he prophesied and said, this generation in Matthew 24, this generation will not pass until all these things be fulfilled. Well, when this book was written, it was written during that generation that Jesus was prophesying about, that everything that was to come to pass was, was unfolding before their eyes. They were seeing it. Uh, they understood the prophecies of Jesus that, you know, when Jesus would say, uh, you know, when you, see, when you see the city encompassed about with armies, you know that the time is at hand and is at the door, that uh, he that's in the housetop, doesn't even not come down and, to get anything out of the house. If you're in the fields, flee to the mountains. When they saw, you know, the, these things came to pass in their yes, days, they, they literally saw the armies encompassed about, so they knew to flee to the mountains. They knew to not get anything out of the, out of the house, but to get away from what was happening, yep. they saw, you know, it, the, the prophecy of Jesus wasn't just something that we were, they were trying to figure out, but it was coming to pass exactly as he said, and they could see it unfolding before their eyes. And so even the writer of Hebrews here is saying, look, you know, here's the thing, if you go back, What's going to happen is destruction is going to come upon you if you go back. But if you recognize what has taken place and you hold on to your faith, you, you, you see what these guys were looking at. You know, in other words, when he talks about, you know, seeing that we are encompassed about with such a great cloud of witnesses, Abraham was looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. Uh, Noah built an ark to the saving of his house. These men did these things in faith. They were a picture of Christ. These guys were seeing the ultimate fulfillment of even the things they were picturing. In other words, um, What's taking place in their day is no longer a picture. Yeah. It's reality. Yeah. And it's coming to pass, and, 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 and it's bringing us into, uh, you know, when you said even the, uh, for the joy that was set before him, that, you know, I think the Apostle Paul wrote and said, you know, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed. That the suffering that they were suffering at that present yes. time was they were being put to death not only uh, from their own Jewish brothers, but from the Romans as well, yep. to try to bring some kind of, uh, you know, uh, peace amidst the, all these things. So they're being pulled on both sides. Yep. I mean, no matter where they go, the preaching of the gospel is, is, 
causing them to be put to death, be thrown into prisons, to cause beatings. They were suffering. That, but, but Paul says the, the suffering of this present time is not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed. In other words, where we're living at right now is the glory that, that Paul was talking about. We're not living in the, in the sufferings of the present time. Yeah. Yeah. Not to say there's not things that we, we don't deal with in this life, but it's not the suffering that Paul was talking that's about. Right. That we're not living in that suffering of that present time. We're living in the glory that's being revealed. And the, the more that we get a hold of the faith that was being preached here, that Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith, the more we see what the cross really did, what we see the new covenant that we're living in, the more the glory is revealed. In other words, the glory is, is here, but it's always increasing. You know, and glory isn't just when we go to a good service where, you know, it feels good and, and you know, we, got to, we get to cry and, and we feel the presence of God. The glory of God is living amongst us every day, even sometimes when we don't feel it. Yep. But what happens is the more we become aware of that, the more it begins to manifest in our lives. In other words, you know, I mean, right before I come over here, I'm sitting in, in the living room. My daughter had just woke up and, and, and we're sharing just a little bit of time this morning together before she went to be with her other grandparents. But, you know, there was no, uh, you know, nobody, there was no choir singing. There was nobody preaching. But being in, the, in that room with my daughter and just sharing some moments of, of watching a little TV together and talking and having a conversation, the glory of God was in that place this morning. And like I said, it might not have been this awesome church service, but the glory of God was there because here's, you know, in other words, we're talking about sonship. We're talking about what God is, you know, in, in chapter 12, that he's going to talk about sonship. And see, I think the, real, the heart of God is that he's just looking for those everyday moments that we begin to realize yep. that he's there. We begin to see the glory of God revealed. You know, and I, lo I love a good church service. I love when the presence of God shows up and manifests in our, in our services. But just as much as I like that, I liked when the glory of God showed up in my living room this morning. Yeah. Between me and my daughter having conversations, we went, me and her went on a golf cart ride, golf cart ride, because uh, we live here in the country, you know, and so we go riding around our hill. And she said to me the other day, she said, Dad, ask me a question. And so I said, okay, I said, uh, why is the sky blue? And, you know, I'm, I'm just asking a dumb question, thinking, you know, you know she, she's going to you know, make something funny or, or, or not know what to say. And she says, well, I think it's because God wanted to make a young girl happy. And so he made the sky blue for me because that's my favorite color. And that, to me, when she said that, it was like my mouth just shut up. <laughs> it was profound. <laughs> you yeah. know, because it was one of the, you know, here's, here's, the, here's one of the most uh, 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 profound questions people ask. Why is the sky blue? And in that moment of that child comes up with something that says, I think that Jesus just made it for me because that's my favorite color. You know, that's the glory. In that moment, sitting on that golf cart, mm -hmm. the glory of God began to be revealed. Mm -hmm. You know, and how in the world can you say that we are not living in a place where heaven is invading earth yeah. in this moment. You know, I think that, you know, for me, in that, in that moment on that golf cart, I kind of understood what uh, Jacob thought when he woke up from the dream and said, surely the Lord was in this place and I knew it not. Sometimes the Lord is in this place and we don't always recognize yeah. it, we don't always see it because we're so, we've been taught such a sin consciousness from an old covenant perspective that we're separated from God. God is waiting for us to get good enough to come for him rather than really realizing that the blood of Jesus and what Jesus did in his death, burial, and resurrection 
was able what was what the very thing that brought the connection of heaven back to earth so that we can wake up in our living rooms in the morning and play with our children and realize the Lord is in this place and sometimes I knew it not you know and so when we talk even about the witnesses of witnessing these guys are witnessing what they're saying to us is man what we hoped for what we were doing you know in picture was also yeah. that you can see the present reality of it right now. Yeah. That the kingdom of God is a present reality in our world right now. The presence of God is a present reality for us right now. It's not something that we're having to hope for, but it's something that's becoming substance and reality. The more the sin consciousness is removed from our eyes, you know, we said a couple uh, segments ago that every time the law was read, a veil is put over our eyes so that we can't see the end of what's abolished. But when we begin to preach the gospel, the veils begin to be removed from our eyes. I think sometimes the reason we can't see the present reality of God around us is because we've been taught the old covenant that's put veils over our eyes that we can't see. But when we begin to preach the gospel, it begins to remove the veils from our eyes so that we really can see the present reality of heaven that's around us right now. You know, and so these witnesses are witnessing that to us. Absolutely, and I, you know, that should be the thing that kind of makes us move forward, you know, in, 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 you know, to them seeing that unfolding yeah. right in front of them. And they're, you know, they're saying, look unto Jesus, He's the author and the finish of our faith. In other words, this is not for some distant future, it's for the now. It's for the now. And that was probably part of the joy that was set before Him. You know, I can't help but think, even as we're talking about looking unto Jesus, that when Moses was on the mountain, he said, you know, uh, or when he, right before he died, he said, ask God for two things. Let me see your glory and show me the promised land. And uh, God allowed him, you know, he said, well, I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock and I'm going to let all my goodness pass before you. And, uh, you know, you're going to see my hinder parts and, and I'm going to let all my goodness pass before you and then I'm going to remove you see my hinder parts. And then he, uh, you know, lets him see the promised land from a distance. And that used to really bug me in the sense that Moses served God his whole life and, uh, you know, he's only ever asked God for two things. Let me see your glory, show me the promised land. But he dies short of the promised land. Now, the th now I understand now why is because God was not even going to allow the mediator of that covenant to make it in by the works of the law, to show us that not even the mediator of this covenant, Moses, made it in by the works of the law. And so it looked like he missed it. And I thought, God, that's just not fair because he served you his whole life. He messed up one time and misses the promised land. Of course, under the law, when you're guilty of one, you're guilty of all. Yeah. But then all of a sudden, you know, I begin to realize that, hey, wait a minute, 1,500 years of human history passes, and on a mountain called Transfiguration, God's about to answer Moses' prayer request because when Moses comes down on the mountain and meets with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, he sees Jesus and he realizes, when he sees Jesus, he realizes glory is not smoke in a corner. Yeah. It's found in the face of Jesus Christ. And it was there that he realized also that the promised land is not a place. It's a person. It's in Christ. And he was about to enter into this new covenant rest that would come through the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's why the focus of this whole book is on Jesus. Yep. He's the better priest. He's the better promised land. He's the better sacrifice. Yep. He's the better tabernacle. He's the better promise. He's the better, you know, blood. He's everything. He is. That's the whole central theme here is to these Hebrews, listen, all of these promises that you think are wrapped up in some natural thing is actually wrapped up in Christ. Yep. Because us, for us, even as believers, 
we're not waiting to enter into some physical real estate promised land. When we get in Christ, we're in the promised land. Yep. And there ought to be an outflow of milk and honey that flows. And so he begins to, you know, uh, exhort them in verse 5. We'll, we'll start here with this, and then we'll probably take the next segment to deal with this. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children, my son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then you're bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits, and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us, after their own pleasure, but He for our profit, that we might per be partakers of His holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, no, but grievous. Nevertheless afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore lift up the hands of them which hang down the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but rather let it be healed. Follow peace with all men in holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Uh, we're not going to be able to unpack this completely in this segment, but I want to just kind of get the thought process going. The correction that he's bringing here to this group of people is he's reminding them that you're sons. In other words, the adjustment here is under the old covenant, you were servants and slaves. But here's the correction that the Spirit, he said, but he's reminding them, you're sons. And if you're sons, then you're heirs. And every son, you know, and every, every for the Lord loveth, uh, whom the Lord loves, he chastens every, and scourges every son whom he receives. And so what he's talking to, to them about here, really, I think, is renewing them to a place of saying, you need to remember that this whole thing is about moving you into sonship. Yep. Because we're looking away, again, from all of this other stuff that you were servants and slaves to, we're looking unto the son. Because the son that he received has already been chastened and scourged. Yep. And we are in that one son. So he, he, he really only receives one son, and that's Christ. Now that doesn't mean that uh, us as individuals are not uh, chastened, and I think the Spirit of the Lord does bring chastening to our hearts and through the Word of God. I don't think God uses sickness or death or any of those things to chasten His sons. So are all stuff we're redeemed from. Everything Jesus paid for in His redemptive work is not in our future. He, God does not use sickness to chasten us. But what He does do is remind us of who we are in our new identity, in, new identity. in this Son. And said, you know, since you're sons, then if you endure this chastening, because what you're going to see is that this chastening is going to cause you to make straight paths for your feet, and that which was lamed or crippled that's turned out of the way is going to begin to return back. And he's talking about, you know, in other words, this faltering and going back again, I believe, to Judaism. And he's saying, you know, you need to be reminded that you're a son. Look to Jesus. He's the author and finisher of your faith. We're about to run out of time. 
wow, it goes so by so fast. We're going to pick this up on the next segment. But if you would like to uh, become a partner with our ministry, let me just encourage you to go to our website. It's the easiest way to do that. And you can go to a place there where there's debit and credit cards, and you can set up a monthly recurring charge if you'd like to become a partner with our ministry. If you need help to do that, you can call the number on the screen and someone will take your call. If you, uh, no one answers the call, please leave a message and we will return your call because of the volume of calls. Uh, you can sow a seed into the ministry by sending a check or money order to the address that will come on the screen. Thank you for joining us. Join us again next week. God bless you. The word repentance means to change your mind. The message of John the Baptist and of Jesus was to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is accessed by a change in our thinking. If you are in outer darkness, there is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. That reality is not always out in the distant future. It is in people's lives right now. One simple mind shift can move you out of darkness and weeping and into light and rejoicing. God wants to wipe all tears from our eyes and replace our weeping with joy.